You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. NASDAQ shrugs off inflation beat as it surges to all-time highs. For all of this and more, including a deep dive on crypto derivatives, I'm joined by Imran Laka of Options Insight. Imran, welcome to Real Vision. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, uh, how about you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, you are a veteran of the derivatives uh, industry of options trading, both on the sell side and on the buy side. And now you have your uh, education course options insight. Uh, just tell, tell people a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, so I'm Imran Larker. Hi, everyone. Um, I've been a options trader for around 20 years. I started my career at Credit Suisse, uh, ended up at Merrill Lynch, traded through the financial crisis in 2008 there, uh, sort of ran the desk there for a while, uh, equity derivatives out of Europe. Then I went to Citibank for a while. Then I had a short stint at Bluecrest Capital. And now I run my own company where I teach people how to trade options. That's great. And Imran, I think options are so important because they really are a large part of the financial markets. And they, as we've seen this year with gamma squeezes and short squeezes and, and the like, they really can influence the price action, but they're not that well understood. So I think it's important what you do educating options. And that's why I'm glad to have you here. No, it's great. I mean, I totally agree. There's just been an absolute explosion in options activity over the last couple of years. And it's great because they're such good products and they allow you to express your views in leveraged ways and they allow you to hedge your positions. But, you know, what worried me is that a lot of the kind of new retail traders who have entered the fray are just using very, very simple, quite naive strategies like buying two-week call options. And whilst that has worked right for them, it can go very wrong and you can lose all of your money very quickly. So, you know, in my courses, I try to explain the intuition behind options and how premium works and how premium behaves uh, to try and, you know, equip people better to use these tools to their, you know, full potential. Let's get into that. Uh, what are options? What is uh, option premium and how do they behave? So, Essentially, an, an option is just the right to buy or sell an asset um, at a specified price by a specified expiry date, right? So in, in the simple terms, let's use call options because people are always buying call options, right? And why are they doing that? They're, they're doing that because rather than needing an amount of money to buy the shares, right? So maybe you haven't got enough money to buy 100 shares of a company, right? But you might have enough money to buy 100 call options on a company or one call option, which gives you the right to buy 100 shares, okay? So by doing that, you're spending less capital, but you're getting participation in the stock price moving up. Because if the stock price moves up, then the call option that you buy will increase in value. And so the capital that you put to work will appreciate, right? So it's a way of getting access to the market 
with a smaller amount of capital, but to be able to participate in some of these large gains that we get in these tech companies, especially, right? So it gives you leverage to your capital or leverage to your premium. Great. And so there are call options, which is the right to buy something. There are put mm -hmm. options, which is the right to sell. Puts generally thought of being uh, something that you can use to hedge your positions. And that brings me to the VIX, which is an index of implied volatility of the, those 30-day uh, options. And it's, it's commonly called the fear index. So just bring it back to the macro and uh, like, you know, the VIX is extremely low. Credit spreads are very, very low. The VIX is now in the teens. Today, we had news about the uh, Johnson & Johnson uh, from the from the U.S. White House uh, was was told to, you know, maybe it should, it should be put on a pause, the, the vaccinations. Likewise, we had an inflation beat, which is generally thought to be sort of a kryptonite to tech. At least that was the narrative two months ago. And yet we had all-time highs today in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So, Imran, if the VIX is the fear index, it seems like we're in an increasingly fearless market. Are we living in a fearless market? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, this is something I was talking about with my subscribers today, actually, and saying, you know, why is the VIX down here? Like, how do you explain it? And my main reasons boiled down to we're just getting constant reassurance from the Fed, right, that they're just going to let this thing run hot. There's no sign of tapering. You know, they're, gonna, they're happy to see any inflation as transitory. So that's one thing. You've then also got Realized vol, the one the one year look back of realized vol has no no longer includes the March moves of last year. So what does that do? That gives a lot of portfolio managers more bandwidth to take risk because their VAR models are saying that it's a less risky market now, right? And then you've also got overwriters, you know, the, the German institutions are overwriting all the time, selling volatility to the street. You've got structured retail notes that sell volatilities in the street. You've got variant swap sellers coming back to the market, which they were a bit absent after the, the violent swings last year, but I'm hearing that they're coming back to the market. So you've just got a massive supply of volatility, and you've got the Fed that's there to kind of almost suppress realized volatility by reassuring us constantly. Right. So I think these are really the factors. It's more the supply and demand. And the only demand that you had for Vol really was the call option buyers um, who were, were keeping a bid to the upside. And that was also filtering through to the market. And some of that bid has disappeared if you look at call volumes. So the retail guys have either spent all their premium or they don't want to spend any more right now. So the, these are things that are taking the bid away, but the supply is still there. And then you've also got realized volatility coming in at 10 or around the 10 level on a 10 day and so there's still there's still a reason to sell the vix right you can sell the vix at 16 and and it's realizing 10 and you think we're going into a summer period which seasonality is normally for that to be relatively quiet i think people are going to be a lot more interested in going out now that they're allowed to than they are going to be in trading right so so all these factors i think are playing into it and Imran, when you say call overwriting, that is selling calls on assets that you already own, basically a way to generate yield in a world where interest rates are so low, right? Yeah, that's right. Call overwriting is one of the most popular strategies in the options market for institutions, um, institutions who hold equity exposure, and they just systematically sell call options against that to, to earn some extra yield, to earn some extra income. That's right. So Imran, 
tell us, do you think that we're in a new regime now that the VIX is in the teens and implied volatility on whether it's you know high yield bond ETFs or ever, everything is is very low, and the supply of vol uh, of vol selling is ample because everyone wants to generate this yield. They don't think a risk on excuse me a risk off event is going to happen. At the same time, they're the, the demand for vol is quite low because no one thinks it's it's going to happen, and we're sort of just in this regime. So, do you think that we, you know, generally sink lower in the VIX and equities grind higher as you know bonds sort of are, continue to be trapped in the range? Where do you see this going forward in terms of a regime shift? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very possible that we're going to spend a few months in the kind of, you know, let's call it. 14 to 18 area in the VIX, right? That's very possible. Um, but but also, you know, I don't like the liquidity profile of the market, right? I don't like that the liquidity is very fickle, right? You know, if we suddenly have a real reason to be concerned, all of a sudden that bid and that buy the dip mentality kind of disappears for for two weeks, then there's a bit of an air pocket under the market, right? This is something that gets discussed quite a lot even on Real Vision, right? The air pocket under the market and the fragility being built up in certain sectors of the market, that's still there. So whereas you might get a few months of that 14 to 18 VIX range, that's not to say that it can't explode into the mid-20s very, very quickly if it's given a reason to, right? So I think, you know, you need to be aware of that liquidity or that fickle liquidity there is in the market and kind of hedge yourself accordingly to, to not get caught out by the idea that we're just going back to a no-vol environment like we, like we used to be in, basically. Imran, when you say liquidity, are you referring to liquidity for vol or vol products like options, or are you actually referring to volumes of the underlying you know, stocks and, and stuff like that? Both. I'm talking about both. I'm talking about liquidity in terms of in stocks. So, you know, if you look at things like the ARK ETF and you look at some of these names in the ARK ETF, the liquid names, you know, when, when those are getting sold, you know, you're seeing down 10% days quite comfortably in that stuff. And then in the options market, same story, right? When suddenly volatility comes back, you know, if institutions need to buy some, some puts, then it drives vol higher very quickly, right? And you see that VIX explode very, very fast. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Imran, can you tell us a little bit about the various strategies that someone who's using options can use? I'm thinking about you know, straddles, strangles, butterflies, risk reversals. Um, you know, tell us about these strategies, and is there anything in this market, or let's say over the past, you know, this year, where you say, "Oh, that strategy would have done phenomenally well," or you know, because I'm, I'm assuming, for example, that uh, selling straddles, selling strangles is, has been a profitable investment because ball has just grinded lower, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it has. But remember, the thing about selling straddles and strangles, though, you know, there's there's a path dependency there as well, right? So. If you sell a straggle, but the market just goes up in a straight line and it does it, even if it does it on a low realized vol, you might still move out of the break even of that profile, right? So, so it's not necessarily given that the, that the straddle worked, but 
you know, variant swap selling has been profitable of late because realized vol has been pretty low. Not that I generally recommend variant swap selling because it, it sells a load of convexity and a load of tail risk that you can't get out of very easily when, when, when the kind of proverbial shit hits the fan. Um, but, you know, that's, that's worked. I mean, generally, right now, I think a good thing for people to, to think about is stock replacement, right? So you've seen vol get smashed. If you've, had, if you've been lucky enough to ride this wave of the market and you've been long, you're being given a very, very easy trade now to get out of your longs and replace them with calls where volatility is cheap, right? So that's the no-brainer, really, in equities right now. If you've been long, you've made a load of money, and you're thinking, wow, I can't find a single bearish person out there, so maybe I should switch some of my long into calls, right, and then protect that downside if that unforeseen downside comes up. I don't really think we're going to get a massive sell-off in the short term, but things feel frothy, right? Sentiment's extreme. You know, some of these margin, you know, people are borrowing on margin at extreme levels. It's, um, there's a few sort of red flags out there. So if you want to protect yourself, I think rather than buying puts, doing some stock replacement makes sense. But, and, and also I was thinking about this and telling some of my subscribers, you know, you might not want to buy the market at all-time highs, but there are pockets of value still out there, right? So you've had the Russell start underperforming versus the NASDAQ. It's had about 11% drawdown on a relative basis. So if you believe in the reopening trade and the cyclical trade and the value trade, Russell versus NASDAQ is a potential opportunity. So you could buy Russell calls and sell NASDAQ calls against it as kind of an RV play. Um, you've also got the FTSE 100. It's been unloved for a long time. Um, you know, UK offers value. It offers the potential of a reopening in the UK that's kind of ahead of everyone else. So maybe we get a summer spending boom and, and that drives UK assets higher. So there's, there's some potential there. There's a call, option on, call options on the FTSE. You know, they're very cheap. FTSE historically trades at a much cheaper vol than, say, some of the other European indices and even the S&P. So you're, you're getting call options on the FTSE on an 11 implied vol. You know, that, that's pretty cheap if you think there's, if there's a rally coming there, right? Imran, can you just explain for the people at home, what is volatility? When you say an 11 vol versus an, a 16 vol, what does that mean? And what does that mean for people who hold options that have that vol? The, the, so the easiest way to kind of think about what a volatility number means is you volatility is quoted in annualized terms, right? So if I say something is a 16 vol, that means it's a 16% annual standard deviation, okay? But in English, if you just divide whatever the vol number is by 16, then it tells you what the expected average average daily move is in the underlying. So if something's a 16 vol, then it means we expect the asset to move about 1% a day, right? If it's a 10 vol, then it's 10 divided by 16, and that's how much percent per day we would expect it, basically, right? So, so that's all it, an implied volatility is just telling you what the expected moves are. So you can calculate realized or historic volatility, which is a backward looking number that looks at what has just happened, so that's realized vol. And then you've got implied vol, which is the market's expectation of future realized that we are implying from option prices in the street. 
That's a great explanation, Imran. So now let's just zoom in on what you said, stock replacement. That is selling the stocks that you own and replacing them with call options so that you get that exposure to the upside, but you're paying a lot less if there's a if there's a crash, right? Yeah, well, you could only lose the premium that you put down, right? So you, you take that out. I mean, you know, I, I just think it's a prudent strategy. I wouldn't necessarily do it with the entire portfolio, but it's one of those things, if you've got some names in there that you just can't believe how much they've rallied and you're thinking, great, you know, it's, it's an easy trade for you to bank some money and still maintain some upside exposure. Imran, a lot of people think about options, they think about stocks, but you can buy options on a whole panoply of assets that's including things like you know, gold, other commodities, as well as crypto, and we'll get to that in a, in a second. But um, what are you seeing in terms of you know, the op options markets on, on gold, on oil, on all of these other assets? Um, you know, I'm, talking, I'm thinking about skew, I'm thinking about implied vol, I'm thinking about you know, the underlying. What are you seeing in terms of relative value plays there? I mean, in general, all volatility is getting hammered, right? I mean, I would say the one thing that stands out is probably the difference between interest rate vol and equity vol, right? So, you know, you compare the move index to the VIX index, there's a divergence there, right? So the interest rate market is not quite as comfortable selling volatility as, say, the equity market is, right? But that's also understandable, right? Because rates are, it seems, the main macro driver right now. And we're kind of breaking into potentially uncharted territory post-COVID that people are not so willing to like sell optionality in rates as maybe they are in equities where, you know, we can get a Goldilocks situation where rates work their way higher over coming months on strong growth and equities don't need to get derailed by that, right? So, you know, I think people are a bit more comfortable selling volume in that market and, and certainly less so in rates right now. Imran, I've got a question. Can you tell us just about what a risk reversal trade is? And you know, I think you call it a risky. So tell us, tell us about a, tell us about a risky. In the US, they're called collars, and in the, in here in Europe, they're called riskies or risk reversals. And, and essentially, all it is is a hedging structure where you buy a put option against existing holdings of whatever asset you've got, and you're buying that put as protection to a drawdown. But because that put costs a premium and you don't want to spend that much, you also sell a call at the same time with a high strike. So you sell an upside call and you to buy a downside put, basically, right? So you 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 have a hedge in place to protect the drawdown, and you're willing to sacrifice some upside by selling those calls to cheapen the cost. So you're funding that protection by selling calls in order to buy exactly. puts. Sounds a little bit like shorting a stock, though, because you're very you're very leveraged to the inverse of the price action, right? Yeah, but you're doing it against an existing stock holding, right? So the, the idea is you would do it when you still want to participate in some upside, but you're starting to get nervous that there might maybe a drawdown coming, right? So that's the idea. And even if you do go up and you go through your call strike, you have your flat, right? Because you're long the underlying and you've sold the right to someone else to buy it from you. And that just takes you out of your position. So it's not that risky from, a, from someone who's got the actual exposure. Right. Imran, now let's move on to something which I was really interested when you first told me. So you uh, were very kind enough to give me and Max a weekend lesson just for the two of us uh, about, about a month ago. So Max and I on 
uh, over the weekend, we had like a five-hour lesson with you. It was an absolute treat. And there you taught us all of this stuff in depth uh, you know, from your course, Options Insight. But then you also told us about crypto derivatives, which is kind of this brave new world. Tell us about your experience you know, as someone who's been a veteran trading options for 20 years. What did you see in this new world of, derivative, of crypto derivatives? I mean, I, I love it, right? It's, uh, as I, I've been quoted to say, for an options trader, crypto bowls a bit of a dream, right? Because the thing you want as an options trader is you want an asset that moves and you want an asset where the implied volatility of the asset also moves, right? Because that's where you make money, from vol and from vol of vol, right? So, so crypto's kind of got all of that because you see the crazy range of movement that the spot price in crypto can have, right? I mean, we were, it was only a few months back, we were like 15,000, and now look where we are, right? We're taking out 60,000, so quadrupled in a matter of months. That's some crazy realized volatility. And then the implied vol trades in a really wide range as well, because you can have periods where we stabilize and don't do a lot for two months, and then all of a sudden we double again in the next month, right? So the volatility range can be as low as, Implied vol can be as low as maybe 40, 50 in the low end, and it can be as high as 150. So there's like a 100 vol range in vol and insane ranges in spot prices, right? So for a vol trader, it's really good, and, and there's loads of opportunity for you to trade. Yeah, just to give people context, a 40 vol at the low end, 40 vol is, is very high um, mm. for, for traditional assets. So tell us about some of the opportunities they saw, because I remember you um, saying that going into this year, you saw there is a massive call skew in Bitcoin. In other words, everyone was on the long side thinking that, oh, Bitcoin's going to go up, Bitcoin's going to go up. No one really wanted to hedge their downside. And uh, you, you noticed that discrepancy. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, I, so I've been long Bitcoin sort of probably from last summer. And obviously, we had the explosion in January where we took out sort of 40,000. And um, what had happened is there'd been a really big option buyer um, in January call options. And they had got involved quite early, and, and the, the calls that they had bought were somewhere around the 36,000 area, 40,000 area, okay? And as we smashed through that, um, they just took profit on their position and rolled their strike higher to like the 65, 70,000 area, okay? And they'd made so much money from the position, they didn't really care what price they were paying. So there was because people were a bit nervous about selling that size of those calls after the type of move we just had, the implied vol on those calls was insanely expensive, right? So, and it was pretty much the highest level, but I think it was over 200 volatility implied, right, on those upside calls. So what you were able to do, if you were someone like me who had been long the underlying and still wanted to keep it, didn't want to sell it, is you're able to sell those call options expiring in only two or three weeks to this buyer who was just like, you know, didn't have much price sensitivity, you could sell those calls to him at the highest bowl we've ever seen. And, uh, and against that, you could buy put protection either in the same maturity or in the maturity in the following month in a, a put spread or a put lower down, something like that. But the idea being is you could sell 50% out of the money calls expiring in only two weeks to fund protection that would kick in maybe down 20% or something like that, right? And, and that was incredible because the skew normally, certainly in equities, the skew never works in your favor like that, where you can sell a call that is miles away 
and you can buy a put that's actually really, really close, right? Normally, in equities, it's completely the opposite. The skew is to the downside, but because Bitcoin has got the skew to the upside, if you're a long holder of Bitcoin, you can take advantage of that skew. You can do these risk reversals and it, and it gives you this really, really efficient protection that maintains your upside in the short term up to a certain point, but allows you to sleep well at night and know that in a big drawdown or big crash, you're, you're going to be absolutely fine. And in fact, you're going to be in a position of strength because you'll be monetizing those puts and you'll be taking profit on them. That's fascinating. Let's put on screen a chart of what uh, what skew normally looks like for, let's say, the S and P five hundred. As you say, puts are a lot more expensive than calls, or, or rather, uh, you know, protection is a lot more expensive to buy than you know, thinking something that's going to go up. So that one hundred and fifty percent on the bottom right uh, is is very very low. But you're saying that actually the fifty percent out of the money calls were trading. Uh, they were more expensive than than the puts, and that was just something that you don't really see in in the macro world or the traditional uh, equity landscape. But but you know you took advantage of that in in the crypto yeah, world. The closest thing you've got really is gold. Usually has a call premium. I mean a lot of commodities have a call premium. So whether it's you know gold or oil's a bit funky now after the fact that it went negative, right? So people are going to remember that for a long time. But generally, commodities trade with an upside skew because of the supply shock factor, right? And, and the gold has got a safe haven factor to it, right? So generally, there will be a call skew, but we're talking about maybe two or three vol points, maybe five vol points, like expensive for the calls in gold, but I mean, in Bitcoin, it went as much as 40 vol points. And even now, in this latest break in Bitcoin, as we've seen, we've taken out 62,000 literally today. Um, you've seen volatility go up and you've seen skew go up as well, right? So there's been some call buying activity and call demand that has taken the, and we call it the 25 delta risky. So the way we compare it is we look at the vol on 25 delta calls versus the vol on 25 delta puts. So we look at the spread in that vol, in those two implied vols. And the 25 delta risky in Bitcoin has gone up, back up to about 15 for the calls, which again, it was, it was trading close to flat a week ago because there had been some demand to buy puts, but now it's swung straight back to the calls again as people are getting excited that the breakout is on. We've taken out the highs and we're kind of going to head above 70 soon, basically. Right? That's kind of, seems to be what the option market is signaling. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Wow. And just to be clear for the people at home, everyone, you're not saying this is not a bearish position on Bitcoin. You own Bitcoin, and that's been a good trade. You just see that the speculation of that it's going to go from sixty thousand to ninety thousand over the next two weeks. That the market is putting an incredibly uh, you know high percentage chance that that's going to happen. You're saying I don't know, so if, I don't know if that's going to happen so quickly. And with that money I'm using to sell, I can buy all of this protection to protect my portfolio. Yeah, I mean, like I say, the, the setup was amazing in January. It's not quite as amazing now just because absolute vol levels are a bit cheaper. So Bitcoin at the money is kind of in the 70s right now. 
I mean, back in January, like the the money was above 100 and the upside was at like 200, right? So it was kind of, then it was an absolute no-brainer. I'd say now it's not as much a no-brainer. Like for example, me personally, I, rather than using front month calls, I've been selling some June calls. So because of the way the term structure has gone quite steep, you know, selling April wasn't getting me that much premium that I wanted. I wasn't able to sell a strike that I felt comfortable selling. So I sold June 100,000 strikes and 120,000 strikes thinking, my God, if we're at 120,000 by June, we've doubled again and I'm pretty damn happy on my holdings. So I don't mind selling those calls. So this is something that would normally be called a covered call, which is typically associated with, you know, someone in their retirement account, some a retiree just wants to generate a little bit of income, kind of a sleepy trade, but you're really taking the sleepy trade and taking it to the next level. Yeah, and that's because that's what Bitcoin options allow you to do, right? I mean, right. I, do run, I do run webinars and, and stuff on this because, you know, I, want, I know there's so many crypto lovers out there and, and it is, it's great. You know, a lot of people have made a lot of money in crypto and, and more power to them. But I just want to teach them a little bit how to protect that money, right? Because, you know, when you start out in crypto, and I think we've all been through the journey, right? You start out in crypto and you think, yeah, I understand it's got a lot of, a lot of upside, um, but it could also go to zero. So I'm going to put a little bit of money in it, basically. You only put a little, you know, a little clip in, basically. And then suddenly that clip goes 5x or 10x, and you're like, I've got some real money now to play with or to protect. So then that's when you have to now use the options to protect yourself that if it was to go down 50% or 80%, which I'm not predicting, but if it was, and it has happened before, would you be in a place where you've, you've actually locked in some of those gains and you're actually in a position of strength rather than you're tearing your hair out thinking I've lost all my money, right? So that's, that's where crypto options can help. And, and that's why I run these webinars. And that's a lot of what I teach in my courses is to try and educate people around this. So, you know, how to use riskies and how to really be able to sleep easier at night, but still maintain the upside exposure. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who took your course myself, I can vouch that uh, you are a veteran in the space and you're, you're a good educator. So I've, I've learned a lot from you. So, okay. So um, Imran, you told about the, you're hedging your downside on the Bitcoin uh, by selling calls. And by the way, were you selling naked calls? Cause uh, I, for the people at home, I would say, don't sell naked calls unless, uh, unless if you're a veteran like Imran, you can do whatever you want, but uh, be, be careful out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't been selling naked calls. I'd say the calls that I sell are spread. Crypto are against the fact that I'm at still long sum. Oh. Right? So, yeah, okay. So you, yeah, you don't have an unlimited loss. That's key. So he owns the assets. So he's, he's not, he's not uh, selling a naked call. Okay, Imran. So that's hedging downside risk for Bitcoin. Now tell us about an opportunity you saw with Ethereum last summer on the upside, on the speculation front, rather than the hedging front? Sure. So, so you know, Ethereum Ethereum, Bitcoin are the main options that trade, right? They're the large caps in crypto, let's call it, right? And that's where there are options markets. Now, now generally, Ethereum vol will trade at a premium to Bitcoin vol, okay? Uh, and that makes sense because normally it kind of moves around a little bit more. It's kind of higher beta, right? Um, but there was, um, I think in September last year, that, that spread, because the market had been very, very stable for a couple of months and was coiling, right? Um, both markets were doing the same thing. And Ethereum vol got slammed down to about the same level as Bitcoin. So what you were able to do is you were able to buy 50% out of the money calls in Ethereum 
and sell 50% out of the money calls in Bitcoin at the same premium. And the theory was that if it if we do get the breakout eventually by and this was March expiry, so you could do six month out calls. If we were to get the rally, as long as Ethereum holds a higher beta, then I'm going to kick into a spread where I'm long Ethereum and short Bitcoin, and Ethereum's going to rally more, basically, right? So that that was the idea that you could use that volatility spread to get into that position for free have no exposure if the markets don't bother rallying because you don't get anywhere near your call strikes. But if we do start to rally and we get through those strikes, then you effectively get put into a long Ethereum short Bitcoin trade and you think Ethereum's got more beta to the rally anyway. Yeah. And that played out quite well, you know. Yeah, it really has come alive. (laughs) It played out great because Ethereum went crazy. I mean, I actually managed, and this is something you need to be aware of as well. When you trade option positions, you put them on, you have a view. You don't have to be married to those positions, right? You can restructure them, you can change them, you can close them if you think they're not behaving correctly. And this is something people don't think too much about. But So for me, I always put on a trade with a thesis, with a view in mind. But if the price action tells me something's different, I listen, right? And I at least scale out of some of that and I trim my risk and I kind of manage it. So I was starting to see actually in September, October, Bitcoin was leading the charge. So Bitcoin was rallying and Bitcoin dominance was going up. And I was worried that even though I think ultimately Ethereum is going to rally, I don't know how long this underperformance is going to last. And I don't want to see these positions just grow against me because I'm short calls. I was short naked calls at that point on Bitcoin and long Ethereum calls and the Bitcoin calls were getting bigger. So for me, I just started to trim my Bitcoin short. I just started to buy back those, those Bitcoin calls because it was rallying. And I was like, you know, I don't mind holding the Ethereum calls, but I don't like the way Bitcoin is rallying and not taking Ethereum with it. So I started to take down the size of my shorts, but keep the Ethereum longs. And as it turned out, that was the best thing I could have done because Bitcoin exploded and Ethereum caught up eventually, right? So that worked in my favor. But I'm just saying it was, I did the trade initially because there was good relative value. But then as I started to see Bitcoin rally, I adapted the trade. I, I kind of changed it up a bit and I managed my risk, which you can always do, basically. Yeah, that's the key point. Imran, uh, options on the on traditional stocks are on 100 shares uh, to call to the right to buy, the right to sell. What is it in the Bitcoin land? Because, you know, if you have one, to own 100 Bitcoin. It's just on one. It's just the one multiplier. So if you trade one contract of the option, it's basically one Bitcoin equivalent, right? It's, that's the way it works. Ah, interesting. The, the, okay. exchange I, the exchange that I do it on is Deribit. So whether the CME has got different multipliers, I'm not sure. So for, for institutions trading Bitcoin, they would probably go to the CME. But for the retail guys, it's, uh, it's Deribit all the way. There we go. Imran, as we reach a close, I've just got to ask you, where do you see the most opportunity for selling volatility in what asset classes and in, in what styles and what trades? And where do you see the most opportunity for buying volatility? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I think, like I said, I do think being short upside um, against long holdings in crypto does make sense because that's where the richness is, right? That's, that's where there is some volatility premium and, you know, whilst we are rallying, it's been a fairly orderly rally of late. So, and, and as more and more institutions come into the crypto space, I think that does suppress volatility somewhat. 
um, because there are rebalancing flows, um, because, you know, an insta puts 5% into crypto and then it goes up 50% in a month, they may well take some chips off the table, right? So I think that helps suppress the realized vol a bit on the upside. And so overwriting calls against a long position in crypto is, is probably a pretty decent opportunity to sell vol in general. Um, selling vol in equities is quite hard right now, um, given how low they've got. I mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't work for the summer, but generally when I sell equity vol, when it's quite low in the teens, I'd rather do it in um, structures that contain my risk. So I wouldn't sell it via straddles or strangles. I'd probably do it via condors and things like that with limited limited downside exposure if the market were to move. Um, and then, you know, maybe rates volatility is an opportunity. I'm not a big rates vol trader. I've generally lived my life in equity derivatives and, and now crypto. So obviously rates volatility is pretty elevated. So there may well be some opportunities to sell rates vol, I would say. All right. Well, Imran, it's been wonderful having you on Daily Reefing. Thank you so much for coming on. Nice. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. And Imran, just real quick, uh, where can people find you? Your, you know, what's what's your Twitter? You're at Options Insights, but you know, what's your Twitter? Where, where can people find you? So yeah, I've got. I'm on Twitter, Options underscore Insight. I'm also on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel where I put out weekly videos called Macro Insight and Crypto Insight, uh, and these are basically highlights from my Zoom calls I do with my subscribers where I talk about my macro views, my macro watch list, what I'm looking at, what trade setups I'm doing, things like that. Um, my website is www.options-insight.com. That's where you can find all the information in terms of my socials links, the courses that we offer, how to join my macro insight community. You can find it all on there. Brilliant. Thank you, Imran. Pleasure. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.